listening to Connection Church's podcast. Knows how to communicate with middle schoolers. Can keep a rhythm at exactly 127 beats per minute. Able to withstand extreme temperatures while parking cars. Can explain who Jesus is to a kindergartner is in the best connect group ever. Speaks the truth even when it's hard to hear. Says good morning approximately 300 times every Sunday. Just went from death to life. No matter who you are or what you're doing, every person has a purpose. Morning, church. How's everybody doing? Y'all good? Good. Hope you're good. Uh, a little dreary outside, but hopefully the worship woke you up. The music got you going. Um, excited about the message today and just being able to uh, bring that to you and excited to be back with you after being in Vidalia last week. Um, it's pretty cool to see what God's doing over there. I um, had about 181 people who came last week to the service and uh, had four salvations there the week before. Um, so just God's doing some awesome things. And uh, evidently, I don't need to go back over there because people only get saved when Billy preaches. So I'm just going to let him do it from now on. And, uh, but it, it's been good, and we're excited to see that taking place. Uh, if you're new here, we're especially glad you're here. And we'd love for you to take that announcement card that you got and fill out. There's a little tear-off portion on there. And if you'll tear that off, fill it out, um, take it by our, our guest services table, our next steps table. We'd love to give you a gift um, for being here today. Um, just something to let you know that we're glad you're here. Uh, also, if you're new or, or you've been around for a while and you haven't been through our heart and soul class, we'd love for you to go through that. That's a class that teaches you the foundations of the faith, but also gives you the vision of this church and what we're here to do and what we feel like the Lord has put on our heart to accomplish as a church. So that's actually our way of doing membership. We don't want people who are just names on a list or names on a roll. We want people who are involved in the ministry and the vision that God's given us to do. So if you haven't uh, checked that out, check that out. We're about to have it start again um, in September and and you can get on board with that. Um, You can jump in in the second, third or fourth week whenever. Um, It's kind of a revolving thing. So go ahead and jump in there and check it out. And I think you'll be blessed by that. Uh, Today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter four. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Again, at our next steps tables, we would love to give you a Bible if you don't have one. We believe that it is the truth and it, it leads us to truth and, and it changes hearts and changes lives. And so we'd love for you to have a Bible if you don't have one. Um, today, we're going to be talking about another one of our cultures. The last few weeks, we've talked about uh, a couple of our cultures uh, here at the church that we believe are very important. The first one that we talked about was serving and how important it is that we're serving in the church, in the community, in different places. Um, the, then we talked last week about community, how important it is that we're giving our lives to one another um, in community, growing together. We talked about small groups and connect groups and getting involved with those. Um, next week, we're talking about evangelism and how important it is that we're going out sharing our faith, that we're sharing our faith with people wherever we are, sharing our faith with people, bringing them to church, whatever it takes to get them um, in a relationship with Jesus, for them to hear the gospel and to be um, introduced to Christ. Today, we're going to talk about generosity. 
Generosity is a topic that um, is so important to the church that we're generous people, um, that we, we're generous with our time and with, with our energy, that we're generous with our, our finances, that we're generous with our lives, sharing them with each other um, in community. And so we're gonna talk about that and talk about generosity, but we're really gonna talk about something that uh, is bigger than generosity, and that's our heart. Okay, and so we're going to look at this through the story of Cain and Abel. Um, if you will turn there and you can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Um, but in Genesis chapter four, we're going to read the first five verses. Then we'll pray and then we'll get going in the message. It says, now Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper, keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the, fat, the firstborn of the, his flock and of their fat portions. It's going to be important that Cain brought an offering, and Abel brought the firstborn and fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain in his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together in your word. God, thank you that it is living and active, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword, that it pierces to the deepest part of our being, God. I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. God, if someone's here who is far from you, I pray that you would draw them near. I pray that their eyes would be open to see, God, who you are and your goodness and your grace. Um, Father, I pray that you would challenge us to grow closer to you and be uh, generous people who give our lives for the kingdom. Lord, we love you and thank you for loving us and for all the goodness you've put in our life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Um, how many of you would be what I would call like why people? You're why people. In other words, basically what I mean is when somebody tells you something, you wanna know why, right? Um, any why people in here? I'm a why person. I always wanna know why something is the way it is. Don't just tell me it is this way. I wanna know why it's this way. And evidently I passed that trait down to my children um, because they like to ask why a lot, especially um, two of my children uh, and two of the three. Uh, one, one day this week, I get a phone call from Susan's phone. It's her phone um, calling me. So I answer, but it's my four-year-old Reed on the phone. And I start getting these questions um, the, about God. Evidently, Susan had given up. And so she just gave him the phone, dialed the number and said, here, talk to daddy. And so he calls me and I'm talking with him and he starts asking me questions. Things like this. Does God build houses? I was like, okay, he's thinking Jesus was a carpenter. So I'm like, well, he may have built houses when he was on earth as Jesus. Um, I, and he gives us the stuff to build houses. So, you know, he asked me that question. He said, daddy, um, did, why did God make ants? It's like, I'm not real, real sure. I guess so other things could eat them, Reed, I guess is why. Um, he said, who's older, Jesus or God? All right. And so I'm trying to give him like these answers that he can understand. Right. And then finally he goes, how old is God? And I was like, all right, this is going to go on forever. And so I said, all right, bud, here's the truth. God is infinite. He's without beginning and he is without end. Okay. That means God is outside of time. So that what we have to understand is God really doesn't have an age because he never started and he never ends. And so that's how old God is to a four-year-old. And he goes, he gets quiet. Okay, daddy, love you, bye. 
And so I realized, like, just lay the answer on them, right? But, but they love to ask that question, why? Why, why is this? Why is that? Why, why does this happen? And I know for me, um, when I first started reading the Bible and I started getting into Scripture and seeing this was one of those passages that I had questions about. I wanted to know why. And the first question that I had about it was, why was Abel's offering accepted, but Cain's offering rejected? Okay, and so that's the first thing I really want us to look at is why was Abel's offering accepted, Cain's rejected? The very simple answer is this, Abel brought his offering in faith and Cain brought his offering in basically unbelief. And we'll look at why we know that in a minute. But the reality of it is that God wants us to come to him in faith. When we bring ourselves, when we bring um, our, our offerings, when we bring our, our resources, our finances, when we bring things to God, he wants us to come in faith, believing that he is who he says he is, believing that he has done what he says he has done, and believing that he will do what he says he will do. And so we come in faith, we come in belief that God is, um, is who he says he is, and trust, we come to God. And what I want you to see in this is that if you look at the coming in faith, then what you see is at the core of this, a heart issue. There's a heart issue that we're talking about. It's the issue of the heart. And that determines our worship, that determines what we bring to God. And so we need to see this, that this is a bigger issue than just an offering. This is about their heart, because we know this, God doesn't look at the outward appearance of a man, he looks at what? The heart. He sees our heart. He knows what's in our heart. He knows when we bring something that's just out of duty, like Cain did, or when we bring something that's out of worship, like Abel did. He knows when we just do things because we know we're supposed to do them, like Cain did, or when we come and we want to please him, like Abel did. And so we see this difference in their offering. We see two very different types of people. And we see that this is really a matter of the heart. This is why God took it so seriously. It wasn't just about somebody offering a vegetable or somebody offering an animal. That wasn't just what was going on here. This was about the heart from which it was offered. And so we need to see that, that God is concerned with how we bring. This whole text that we're looking at about Cain and Abel is about the heart. It's about worship and it's about faith. And so I want you to get that first, that, that Abel's offering is accepted because his heart was pure. His, his worship was to please God and because his faith, or uh, he was in faith. Cain's was rejected because his heart was impure. He's going through the motions. He's just doing what he's got to do. His, his heart wasn't right. And he just brings something out of duty, not out of faith and not in an effort to please God. So this whole text is concerning our heart. The second question that I had in this, is God more concerned with what we bring or how we bring it? Before we answer that, I want to read to you one other scripture. It's in Luke chapter 21 and it has to do with uh, a widow's offering. This is verses one through four. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. And so when we look at that, is God concerned with what we bring or with how we bring it? I think it's important that we see that the answer to that is yes. Because on one hand, it's about how we bring it. It's the condition of our heart, like we see with Abel. But on the other hand, it's about what we bring because how we, what we bring is a, an indicator of the condition of our heart. 
And so it's important that we see both. It's important that both are working in our lives, that we see this. For example, um, my son Reed that I was talking about, he made me this one, one time for Father's Day. It says, happy Father's Day to the world's best dad. And he put his little handprints on there, right? Everybody can say, oh, right, oh. And, and here's the thing though, um, when I got it, I didn't look at it and go, Reed, come here, son. Why are the hands upside down, right? Why are the hands upside down? You didn't even get the whole pinky in there, right? And I didn't do that. I didn't judge him based off of his artistic ability and the quality of the artwork. What I, what I looked at was his heart and his heart in bringing this to me and how he brought it. And so I want you to see that on one hand, it's about how we bring it. And if how we bring it is right, then the offering is going to indicate that. What we bring is gonna match that. And so we see that with Cain and we see that with Abel. Their attitude towards worship shows the condition of their heart and where their heart was at, at this time. The next question was that I had was, how do we know that this is a heart issue? Like when we look at this, how do we really know that this is an issue of the heart? And it goes back, I believe, to verses three and four. It says, in the course of time came brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. The NIV version says that he brought some of his crop. He brought some, but it says that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock the fat portions. Basically what we see in this is that Cain brought some, he brought what he felt he had to bring, he brought what he thought would get him by. Um, Abel was willing to bring uh, his firstborn. If we bring our first to God, what does that mean we do with the rest? We have to do what? We have to trust God for the rest if we give him our first. That's why that principle of um, the firstborn and the first fruits and people giving their first throughout the Bible is so important because if we bring God our first, we have to trust him for the rest. That's one way we know that Abel was in faith when he gave his offering. He brought his first. Another way we know he was in faith when he gave his offering and his heart was right with God is that he brought the best. He brought the fat portions. That was the best part of the animal that he brought to God. And so we see this, that, that what indicated um, where their hearts were was what they brought. Cain brought some, Abel brought the best. He brought his first. I wanna go through just a few things that I believe that giving our first and giving our best to God, whether that's in our energy and our time, whether that's in our finances, whether that's in our, um, our, our uh, giving our lives for community, whether that's sharing our witness as evangelist, in evangelism, whatever that may be, I want us to look at some things that when we give our first and our best that are true. The very first one is this, that giving our first and our best shows that our heart is centered on the kingdom. It shows that we have a heart for the kingdom. I'll read you this scripture. Um, it's out of the book of Acts chapter four, because I don't know that you can find a better example of people whose hearts were centered on the kingdom and their generosity was an indicator of where their heart was. It says in verse 32 of chapter four in Acts, now the full number of those who believed were of one's heart and soul. And no one said, said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon all of them. There was not a greedy or a needy person among them. Maybe not greedy either. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. 
And so we see in there a couple of things taking place. One, there was great unity among the people, but two, there was a great sense of generosity and they're giving to one another and they were very kingdom minded. What we need to understand is that our generosity allows the kingdom to go forward. See, it's generosity that's allowed us to start a new campus in Vidalia and allowed at least 12 people so far um, to come to Christ, come to faith, come to salvation since Easter. Um, it's, it's our generosity that's allowed us to be in this place and have a facility that facilitates people coming to know Christ. It's generosity that meets needs in the community. It's generosity that, that, that um, allows the gospel to go forward. And when we talked about this two weeks ago, when the gospel is preached, the kingdom grows. And so we see that they were generous people. They were generous people who were enabling the kingdom to move forward. The second thing that happens when we give God our first and our best is it shows that we trust God as our provider. The Bible in Matthew 6, says that if we'll seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, then all these things will be given to us. And this is what I've seen to be true in my life and the life of others. When we're willing to surrender everything to God and trust him with our first and trust him with our best, then what we begin to see is that God does um, take care of us, that everything else is added to us, that he makes sure we have the needs met that need to be met. It might not be every want, but he takes care of our needs in some form or fashion. And God always does that. Some of the questions I get about the first and about how we bring our first and, and, and doing that is a lot of times people ask me, like, uh, do we still need to tithe? Is the tithe still um, active? Is it still something that we have to go by? Um, and, and here's the way I would answer that. On one hand, Jesus did uphold the tithe in Matthew 23, 23. But the question of the tithe is pretty quiet in the New Testament. And here's why I believe it is, is because I believe the New Testament is teaching us more about generosity. I believe that grace elevated the standard of our living. Um, the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost elevated the standard of our living so that now the tithe is not the ceiling of what we should look to do. It's the beginning of what we should do. It's the floor, not the ceiling. And so when we come to that, we need to see that and understand that, that God wants us to be a generous people. When people ask, do I have to tithe? It typically reminds me of when, when teenagers say, how, how far is too far, right? It's like, how far can I go and not be in trouble? Well, when we ask kind of that question, it's sort of like, how much can I, do I have to give? And remember, it's an issue of the heart. It's a question of the heart. God's as much concerned about how we bring it as he is what we bring. And so I want you to see that. The third thing that I believe happens when we give our first and our best is that it guards our heart against materialism. Jesus teaches us throughout the New Testament that money would be the, the number one competitor for our heart. And I understand that generosity messages and talking about money and those kind of things, those messages are not what grows big churches, especially when you talk about sacrificial giving. But the reality of it is, if we didn't talk about this, if this was a subject that we dodged because we didn't wanna offend anyone, then we wouldn't be loving you very well. Because the reality of it is this, folks, that, that money is the number one competitor for our heart. Materialism robs us of our joy more than anything else that I've seen in the church because we become so consumed about it. And I want you to understand that, that Jesus taught this, that Jesus taught it would be the number one competitor for our heart. It's the number one competitor for our heart. He told us that, that if we were to, um, that we couldn't have two masters, that we either love the one and hate the other, We'd be devoted to the one and despise the other. We couldn't serve both God and money. And so Jesus um, wants us to be generous. One thing it does is it guards our heart against materialism. The fourth thing I think that bringing our first and our best does is it grows us in the image of Christ. 
Let me answer this question. What is the most popular scripture in all of the Bible? John 3, 16, right? It's for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I actually forgot that verse in a message one time. Some of you are probably here. Um, Somebody actually gave me a bracelet after that that had John 3, 16 written on it. Um, and, and, and it just went blank. It's one of those things you're in front of about 800 people and your mind goes blank and you're like, you know, John 3, 16, help me start it, right? And, uh, and, and so I, I for, totally forgot the verse. But if you think about it, God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. See, God is generous. He's been very generous with us. If we're to become like Christ, which is the goal of a Christian, is to become more like Jesus, then we need to be generous people. And that's something that God does in us and then he does through us. He changes our heart and then he begins to do that in us and through us. The fifth thing that I think that happens when we're giving our first and our best is it's an indicator of the condition of our heart. And I've spoke to that some, I'm not gonna talk about that a lot more, but the reality of it is it makes us question things like, is my heart for the kingdom of God? Is my heart for the kingdom? Um, is money an idol in my life? Is it something that I'm worshiping ahead of God? Am I really trusting in God as my provider? And, and am I growing? Am I growing to become more like Christ? And so it's an indicator of our heart and where our heart is. The sixth thing that I see in this, is, and we look at giving our best and our first, is that it's motivated by faith. And this is where I wanna spend the rest of our time, is that it's motivated by faith. It's not motivated by guilt. It's not motivated because the preacher said, we gotta do it. It's motivated by faith. And there's a couple of things I want you to know about faith. And that is that in faith, um, when we come to faith, there's a cause, and I don't know how many of you had trouble with this in school. There's a cause, there's an effect, effect, right? And there's an effect. How many of you hated the E and the A on the effect and effect? I can't even say it, right? Yeah, and, and how many of you are English majors? Yeah, don't tell me if I get it wrong, okay? Just let me live in happy, blissful ignorance in this, okay? Um, I'll never be tested on this again in my life, so just let me be ignorant of this, all right? But here's the way I see faith. That one, there's a cause. The Holy Spirit comes and opens our eyes so that we can see the goodness of God, that we can see who God is. And so our eyes are open when we come to faith, when God gives us his spirit and the spirit opens our eyes to see clearly who he is. The second thing is there's an effect, effect. There's an effect that takes place. And that is that once we see the goodness of God and we see who he is and we see the gospel and what he's done for us in Christ, we begin to trust him. We recognize that he's provided a way for us to be reconciled to him. So we come to a place of trust. So our eyes are open, we begin to trust him. And then the last thing is when we come to faith, the Holy Spirit comes into us, gives us a new heart with new desires, changes the direction of our life and gives us a desire to see the kingdom grow. And so those things happen whenever we come to faith. The way I would describe it would be, I went to the eye doctor one time, he was a friend of mine. And I went, sat down in his chair and I'm like, I don't need glasses. Like I see fine. And then he put these lenses in front of me and he starts flipping down all these different lenses. And then all of a sudden he flips one down and I'm like, ah, you know, it's like, whoa. I was like, wow, you know? And, and what it was, was when I read for a long time, uh, my eyes did just get like tired. And, and this took the, the words on the page from like a 10 point font to probably like a 14 or something, you know? And I was like, whoa. 
what happened? And so I realized I needed glasses, but my eyes were open. I could see clearly for the first time in who knows how long. And that's what happens when we come to faith is that we realize that, that God's goodness is there, that his grace is there. We realize who the person of Christ is and we come to faith in him and we begin to trust him with our lives. We put our eternity in his hands. We put all of who we are in his hands. And then we come to this place where um, the Holy Spirit comes into us at that moment of faith, at that moment of saying yes to Christ, at that moment of believing he is who he says he is, that he has done what he says he has done and that he will do what he says he will do. We come to this place of faith and the Holy Spirit comes into us and gives us a new heart. And that begins to take place when we come to faith. And all of that's important because it works in our heart. I want you to see that a life of worship, including generosity, is motivated by seeing the goodness of God, by the belief and trust in God, and by the change that faith brings to our heart. And I want you to see that until we understand the goodness of God, we'll never really understand generosity. We'll never really have a heart for God until we come to faith in Christ and he begins to change our heart. And I want you to see how this plays out in the rest of this text, because I believe it points us to the goodness of Jesus. It points us to who he is and what he's done for us. And we see it played out in the rest of Cain's life. Listen to this. It says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. The first thing I want you to see in this text is that God gives Cain two options. He gives him two paths to follow. When we look at this, um, God always gives us that option, doesn't he? He gives us a choice of life and death. He gives us a choice of blessing and cursing. And he says, uh, you know, follow me, follow me and do as I do. But he gives us that option and that choice. And the reality of it is that he gives Cain this option as well. Basically, he tells Cain, Cain, listen to me. If you'll get your heart right, if you'll put your trust in me, if you begin to believe in me as your provider, as the one who's gonna take care of you, if you'll begin to trust me as your God and surrender to me as your God, then you'll be accepted, right? But here's the problem, Cain. If you don't do that, you're headed down a path of destruction. And we all know that to be true. We all know that there's a path of destruction that, that, that is our own way. Most of us have lived long enough to know that when we go our own way, it doesn't end up well. It might go well for a time, but it doesn't end up well. But when we follow after God, what we see is there may be difficulties, there may be struggles, but there's a peace and there's a knowing that God's with you that takes you through those things, through those obstacles. And so what I want you to see in that first part is that there's two options. And God calls him to this place of repentance. He calls him to this place of get your heart right, Cain. Just get your heart right with me. Put your trust in me. Follow me, follow my way. And he says, if you don't do this, understand that sin's desire is for you. I want y'all to understand this, that sin does not desire to harm you. Sin desires to destroy you. You have an enemy who's like a lion who prowls around looking for those whom he can devour. The word, the word devour means to, to drink up, to completely engulf. It means that he doesn't want to ruffle your feathers or just make you have a bad day. He wants to take you out. And scripture teaches us this, that, this, that Satan has come to kill and steal and destroy. The good news is that Jesus came and he came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. And Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said, in this world, you'll take heart, but or in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. 
And so we can live from that truth, but we have to realize that it's in following Christ that we find abundant life. It's in clinging to Christ that we find abundant life. And so he tells them, if you do not do well, sin's crouching at the door. It's gonna take you down. Verse eight, it says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. The next thing I see in this is that when God's word came to Cain, he rebelled against it. When God's word came to Cain, he rebelled against it. See, God is telling him, you need to repent, Cain. Cain went the exact opposite direction, didn't he? And how many times have we done that, people? How many times have I done that? Have you done that? That we know that God's word is telling us to go one way and what we do is we go the exact opposite. And we see that that happens in our life. We see that we do that. I mean, it's in us from the earliest age. I remember when I was about seven years old, um, I had had enough of, of rules and regulations at the age of seven. Uh, my parents' rules were just oppressing. I couldn't deal with it any longer. So I decided at the age of seven, I would run away. And so my cousin and I struck out from the, the house out the back door. We'd gone at least probably 200 yards, right? Um, and, and we hit a dirt road. We start walking down this long, straight dirt road. And we look up and my cousin goes, that looks like my dad's truck. And we're thinking we're home free. We're thinking we have escaped, we are gone. Nobody will ever find us. We're walking, he says, a little bit closer. That really looks like my dad's truck. Well, it does look like your dad's truck, you're right. He gets a little bit closer, he goes, oh no. I was like, what? He goes, that is my dad's truck. And in the back of the truck was my dad, right? And they've been looking for us and they finally found us. And I could always know when my dad was really mad because he cocked his jaw to the side. And his eyes got like real transparent blue. Like, does, I was like, does he have a demon? I didn't know what was going on with him. But his eyes would get real transparent blue. He cocked his jaw to the side. And so he's in the back of the truck. The truck's coming up like, please don't have your jaw cocked to the side. Please, please don't, don't, don't. And then sure enough, he's mad. We went back to the house. It didn't go well for me that day, right? Um, and, and so we decided we would rebel and we, we'd run away from authority. And we've all done that. I mean, you look at a, a, a child at its earliest ages, there's something in them that wants to rebel. There's something in them that wants to go away from authority. We've all done that. We're all in that same place. We've all done what Cain did, maybe not committing murder, but we've all done things that were in rebellion against God. Verse nine, it says, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? So listen now, he's asking him the question of what's going on, Cain. And instead of coming clean, instead of repentance, turning from his sin and turning to God, he becomes arrogant and even mocking of God. And how many times have we done that where we knew we were in sin, we knew we were turning our back on God, we knew we were turning away from God, and yet we kind of just snubbed God and said, whatever, God, whatever. And we just turned our back and just kept going, right? And so we see this in this text that he's arrogantly mocking God. Then in verse 10, it says, and the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So we see in this that it's not just that Abel's blood is speaking up out of the ground, but it's the sin of Cain that's crying out for judgment. It's the blood of Abel and Abel's death that's crying out for justice. And what we need to understand people is that rebellion against God and that running from God and arrogantly mocking God, it's, it's in outright rebellion against him and it cries out for justice and judgment on our sin. 
And this is where we all are, right? In a place where our sin cries out for justice, our sin cries out for judgment, and we would um, be in a place where uh, that takes place. Because anytime anyone does evil to us, the first thing we want is for justice to be done. But what we need to realize is that we've done evil to God and it cries out for justice and judgment from him. Verse 11 says, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your own hand. The next thing that happens when sin comes into our life, we don't repent of it, we don't turn to the Lord, is that we realize that the sin puts us under this curse of death. The Bible teaches us that, that when we don't follow God perfectly, when the works that we do are not perfectly in line with what God tells us to be and do, that we fall under this curse of sin and death. Two things that have mastery over people, that that one is sin and evil that has grabbed hold of us. The other is death that every person must face. And so we see in this, this gloomy outlook, right? That, That sin has mastery over us at this point. He says, you're cursed. The sin has cursed you, Cain. And we have to realize that we stand in that same place. Listen to the effects of sin. He says, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. The NIV says it yield to you its crop. One of the things I see when we've been placed under the sin and we aren't living for God is that we lose our purpose. See, we were all created for a purpose. We no longer have fruitful labor. Our labor is temporary. Everything that we earn, everything that we do is temporary because it's not invested in the kingdom. The only thing that lasts eternally. And so we need to see that it's temporary and it doesn't fully satisfy. It doesn't do what we know uh, we want done in our heart. It doesn't fully satisfy us just as um, life apart from Christ doesn't fully satisfy us. Another thing that we see in verse 12 is it says that you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. See, there's, a, there's a, a restlessness in our soul when we're apart from Christ. Again, that hole that's there, that thing that needs God, that, that hole, that, that longing isn't satisfied until we come into a place of relationship with God through Christ. And so he tells them he'll be a restless wanderer basically on the earth. Verse 13 says, and Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Along with sin comes condemnation from God. It's that justice and judgment that we talked about that our sin cries out for. And apart from Christ, there's condemnation on our sin. And Cain realizes this is punishment. This, what's about to happen is more than I can bear. And the condemnation of God in our life is more than we can bear. It's more than we can can stomach, can tolerate. Verse 14, behold, you have driven me away today from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. And so he, he says this in verse 14, he says, I'm gonna be cast away from your presence. We need to understand that sin always separates us from God. Listen, if we're an unbeliever, we haven't been made righteous by Christ. We're not, um, have not been made holy as he is holy. So God is holy. We can't come into the presence of a holy God. So our sin is a wall between us and God. And until that wall is torn down by faith in Christ, we cannot approach a holy God. But as believers, sin is a direction, as I talked about. Sin is a direction. If God is over here, then sin is over here. It's two opposite directions. We can pursue our way, we can pursue sin, or we can pursue God, but we can't do both at the same time. We can't be actively pursuing sin and pursuing Jesus at the same time. And so as believers, sin takes us away from God. And we need to come to a place where we repent and turn from our sin and turn to 
Christ, turning around. The last one I would tell you is that he says, I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. This is Cain speaking. And whoever finds me will kill me. Sin always leads to death. Cain understood that this is gonna end up costing me my life. And so here's the thing that I would say in this is we're talking about faith and we're talking about it changing our heart and we're talking about um, generosity. The thing I would say is that is a pretty gloomy outlook on life. That Cain is in a place that we all at some point have found ourselves in. And the reality of it is, what do we do? Is it all over? But then we read verse 15 and it says this. Then the Lord said to him, not so. In other words, Cain, you're not going to die. Not yet. And in this, we see a hint of God's grace. He gives him grace even in the midst of his rebellion. We see God in this, this text giving Cain all of this opportunity to turn back to him. If you even look at the questions in verses six, nine, and 10, in verse six, he says, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? Can you see God giving him opportunity to turn to him? He's saying, just tell me, just come forth with it. Just get your heart right. In verse nine, he tells him, where's your brother Abel? Or Abel, your brother. He says, where is he? Another opportunity for him to come clean, another opportunity for him to get his heart right. And yet he still refuses. And then in verse 10, he couldn't ask it more plainly. He says, what have you done? And see, God never asks a question to get information. He's given him opportunity. He's given him time to repent. The Bible tells us that it's God's loving kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his patience that leads us to repentance because he gives us time to repent and to turn to him. And so we see that God's offering grace. God's offered us grace. He's offered us an opportunity. But the reality of it is, people, and listen, our sin cries out for judgment and justice. But here's the good news. I want to read this to you. It's out of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 24. It says, and this is speaking of what we've come to in Christ, what we've come to in God. And it says, and we've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So when we look at this, I want you to get this. I want you to see this. That on one hand, the blood of Abel is crying out for justice and judgment. On one hand, um, the blood of Abel is, is, is crying out for God's condemnation. But what we see in this is that the blood of Jesus cries out for forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation. And when we come to faith in Christ, his voice, his blood trumps the blood of, of Abel. In other words, it trumps our sin. We're made right with God. He speaks a better word over our life than what our sin could speak. And so this is where the good news comes in. By putting our faith in the sacrifice of Christ that he did on us for the cross, we begin to gain a better testimony. At that moment of faith, we gain the testimony of Christ so that we become uh, his. We begin to be seen as, as, uh, as Christ to God so that we're set free from that curse of sin and death. Why? Because Jesus became a curse for us as he hung on the cross. He became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God so that we don't have to live under that sin any longer. And we can have a heart now that's after God. See, that is, you talk about the motivation of faith the motivation of worship, the motivation of our heart, that's where it's at, is in the gospel. 
That's where it's at is when we recognize the goodness of God. Remember the, the, the cause and the effect and the effect. The cause is that we see the goodness of God. We see the hopelessness that we were in and then we see what God has done for us. We see um, the hopelessness that was our life and then we see what God has done for us in Christ and that becomes our motivation. And then we begin to trust in that. We begin to believe in that. The effect of that is that I can trust my life to God because if he was willing to give his best, give his firstborn, give his only, then we can trust him to give us everything else that we need. I'm gonna trust in him. I'm gonna give my life to him. I'm going to give all I have to him. And then we see that the Holy Spirit comes and changes our heart. And all of that happens in the moment of faith that we see, we believe, and our heart is changed. And we come to a place where we, we want to be a part of the kingdom. Everything we talk about in here as far as these cultures have to be seen within the context of the kingdom, whether it's generosity, whether it's serving, whether it's community, whether it's evangelism, it's all about the kingdom of God. It's much bigger than money. It's about the kingdom and about our heart and about our condition of our heart with God. And so I want you to be able to see that and understand that. Here's my question to you today. What is your response to God's grace? What is your response to God's grace? As we look at this, God has clearly offered us grace. If we're an unbeliever today, God is offering you the grace to turn from your sin and to turn to Christ, to be given life through Christ, to be given forgiveness through Christ, to surrender your life to one who can much better take care of your life than you can. If we're a believer today, we have opportunity and God is offering us grace to turn from our way and turn to His way. What is it in our life that's hindering us from following Jesus? What is it that's turning our attention away from Him and, and, and causing us to go a different direction? Today, we have the opportunity, we have His offer of grace to be able to come to a place where we lay that down at His feet and we turn our eyes back on Him and we turn our direction back towards Him and allow Him to work in our heart. I'll give you two invitations today. The first one is for the person who you're still separated from God because you've never come to faith in Christ. You've never said yes to his invitation. You've never become a follower of Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to him. And you could have walked in the church for the first time today, or you could have been in church all of your life. The question is not about church attendance. The question is, have I given my life to Jesus? Have I trusted him? Have my eyes been opened to see clearly who he is? first invitation is to come into a relationship with God through Christ. Have the forgiveness of your sins wiped away. And today, if you're, if you're here and that's you and you know the Lord's calling you to that today, then I'm going to ask you to be very bold at this time. I'm going to ask you to be very bold. And I'm going to ask you that right now, if that's you and God's calling you to salvation today to say yes to Jesus for the first time, I'm gonna ask you right now, right where you are, everybody's looking because we wanna celebrate with you. I'm gonna ask you if you would stick your hand way up in the air and let us celebrate with you and let, you, let us help you take your next steps of faith. If you're here today and that's you, today's the day of salvation. Amen. going to pray with you if that'd be all right. Thank you. Who else? You know that the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart today and he's calling you into this relationship and you've never surrendered, never said yes to him. Then today's the day, man. God's knocking on the door of your heart. Open the door. Don't wait. 
if he's offering you the grace as he is, say yes. Okay. Then here's the next one. Maybe there's something that's just not right in your heart with God. Maybe there's something you need to leave here. Maybe there's a hurt there that that you feel like, man, I've just been holding on to it for too long. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's something to do with what you're offering God from a standpoint of not offering him your best and just giving him what's left over. If today there's something you need to leave at the altar, you need to repent of and turn and walk out of here following Jesus and leaving that here, then when I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna pray. And while I'm praying, I'm gonna ask you to get out of your seat and you come down here and you do business with God right here. And when you do that, there'll be people here who will pray with you if you'd like. We'll have you take next steps of faith. We'll do whatever we can do to help you follow Christ. But when I pray, if there's something in your life, you say, I need to leave it here today. I need to let this go. I've been carrying it for too long. I've been walking this way for too long. Today's the day I leave it all here. Then when I pray, I'm asking you to move. I'm asking you to move. And then we'll pray. When I say amen, we'll be dismissed. You stay and pray as long as you'd like. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us enough to give us your grace. Thank you for your heart for us. Thank you, God, that you move in us in a way that brings us to you, Lord. We couldn't have faith if it weren't for you and what you do in our hearts. So God, we thank you for that gift. I pray that we would move today um, in accordance with what you're putting in our hearts, Lord. Um, God, that we wouldn't worry about the people to our left or to our right, but we would focus our eyes on you and we would respond to you the way you prompt us to respond, Lord. God, just move in, a, in, a, in an amazing way, Lord. Lord, you're the God who does exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. So I'm asking you, Jesus, that you would move in the hearts of these people. God, unite us together as one body, just as we read in the book of Acts, that we would be heart and soul with one another, um, running with the gospel, running with your good news, Lord. And we would be together, all in the context of your kingdom. Your kingdom come, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. We love you, we praise you, we thank you, God. Just do work in our hearts, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen, amen.